With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Direct-to-video connoisseur. Uh, this is Matt here, as always, and this week I am joined again by a very special guest that we've had on a couple episodes ago, uh, Mitch from the Video Vacuum. Welcome back, Mitch. Thanks, Matt. Excellent. So, yeah, so I thought maybe we could start. One thing I wanted to mention actually quickly before we get into things, I realized on my site, I think I had the wrong URL for your blog. So I think I fixed it so that it's the correct video vacuum site. Um, but I also want to mention too to people if you're, and we'll, we'll talk about, you know, where to find you and stuff later. But um, if you're not following Mitch on Twitter at, at, at the video vacuum, that's the best place to go because you'll, you'll get the links right away to your sites. That's right. Yeah, I upload. Uh all the links whenever I post a new review, and then you can always uh, hear what I have to say about the world of pop culture and whatever else is going on in the world. Yeah, yeah. And the other thing, I, I actually like your tweets too, because you sometimes will you'll pick things out that you saw that interest you that I'm kind of like, oh yeah, that's kind of a cool thing to talk about, like this this thing about a movie or that that you know something that somebody else is into, which I think is kind of the cool thing about Twitter is that we can kind of all find things that everybody likes. Yeah, I mean, it, and it's a way to kind of engage in the conversation uh, without really, you know, you only get 280 characters, so it's short, it's sweet, and, you know, if I go on a rant, I go on a rant, but usually it's just, I keep it the one or two tweets. Yeah, yeah, and you never know what you're going to find out there where someone's like, you know, like, what is your favorite line in this movie, or, or, you know, of, of this kind of movie or, or something like that, where you can be like, yeah, you know, let me think about that for a second or that kind of thing, which I, I always find that thing kind of fun. So, yeah, if you're not following Mitch on, on if you're not following the video vacuum on Twitter, definitely do. Um, if you're if you're following me on Twitter, I, I do retweet some, so you'll see some of those as well. So, uh, but definitely, I think, I yeah, for sure. Um, at least you're going to get the, the correct link to the site. I think I fixed it on my blog, um, but hopefully, if anybody does go try to find your site for my blog and you get an error, let me know. You can message on Facebook or something like that, and I can fix it. Yeah, very cool. I mean, any, you know, any traffic you send my way, you know, I do likewise. Perfect. I appreciate it. That sounds good. Yeah, I think it's good. We get kind of these like-minded, you know, uh, uh, you know, people that they, they're, they're into one kind of movie. It's like, yeah, you know, if you're into what we're into, then definitely check out because, you know, 
we're only putting out so much content, so there's plenty of room out there for everybody to kind of get their fill and kind of go, you know, here, here's someplace or here's somebody else who had a different opinion or goes into more of these kinds of movies or that kind of thing. I think it's always a positive for sure. And it was cool, too. I was on uh, Cam Sully's uh, uh, podcast a couple weeks ago, and he was saying that he said, it, it, it's me, it's you, and then uh, Ty and Brett. He said, you know, if you see a movie and there's all three of our names on the IMDb external reviews page, he said, it's probably, you know, your movie, you know. <laughs> right. he said, it's really, he said, he called us, he called us the Holy Trinity or anything, but he said, yeah, it's like, usually if you see those three names on on that page, like, you're in the right spot. <laughs> I think that's probably a good way to think of it, yeah, for sure. Um, and yeah, because Ty, Ty and Brett, they're another one who, who watch a lot. They've they've got a, a, a lot in there. I, I'm trying to get back to that point where I watch a lot, but um, I'm kind of, kind of trying to move in that direction, but yeah, for sure. I think that's probably a good safe bet, like, if, if the three of us have watched it, and even if we don't all agree on it, I think if the three of us, if it's caught all, all of our radars that's probably a good sign that um it's you know, like, like like cam was saying it's probably the movie for you for sure <laughs> <laughs> perfect now now what is um you know speaking of movies um anything that you've seen lately that sort of really stood out to you um like right now i'm just kind of uh catching up over the holidays i kind of took a little break um but I've just been, I'm, you know, uh, I recently moved and we cut cables, so I've been getting into more like streaming. And it, honestly, Tubi uh, is phenomenal for. I mean, it has, you know, all the kind of grindhouse stuff and uh, direct-to-video uh, stuff that we enjoy. But I mean, there's a lot of really good independents on there. I saw uh, Shotgun Stories, uh, Jeff Nichols' uh, directorial debut with uh michael shannon i thought that was fantastic uh so i i've been kind of you know one of my uh goals you know this spring is to kind of catch up on uh both of their filmographies because they that, that that movie it, it was one of the, the only movies i could think of that was a, a vengeance driven tale but it was done as like a quirky independent movie and it, it was the only movie i can think of that kind of made me think of Death Wish and Napoleon Dynamite in the same kind of breath. So that was that was really good. Yeah, you know that's a really good point you mentioned about Tubi because I think I go into Tubi thinking like, okay, I want to see like what you know Samurai Cop Two or you know whatever that kind of movie is in there, and I'll see ones like that where it's like, oh, you know that's kind of one I'd be interested to see at some time, and I don't think to make a note of like you know. Oh, I, that that was in there, um, but you make a great point because it, it's such a good site. Because you know, I mean, there's commercials. Obviously, it's not like it's as intrusive as like watching a movie on TV where you get commercials every 15 minutes. Um, so I don't think it's that bad. But I like that that setup where the commercials pay for us to be able to watch it, so we don't have to pay to stream there or anything like that. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's one of those things. For every movie I watch, I add like 10 to my queue because I'm I'm always the victim of the. Uh, customers also watch uh list and then i'll just start you know blindly adding things especially if it's a an actor or director and like you know a guy like ted v michaels they have like all of his movies on there so i just keep clicking and uh keep adding them yeah i i that's a good point too it's like those algorithms are, are really good aren't they <laughs> like figuring out what we want to watch next I know it's it's scary uh, up to the point where, where like I, I mean honestly I could probably just have Tubi by itself 
But there's, I, I found a couple on Roku. They have a uh, one uh, digital drive-in that actually has old uh, 3D movies. So if you have a pair of red and blue uh, 3D glasses, you know, in 3D, and the 3D isn't bad for you know home viewing. I I would be interested to check out because I have not done 3D in a long time and uh yeah that's something that I think would be cool. One another one that I check out on on Roku that I stream is uh, Vidmark videos, which um I thought is a really good channel. Um where like the I don't know if you've noticed if if you check that one out where the um the VHS or the 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 thumbnails for the um for the movies have little VHS. Yeah, Vidmark is. Oh, yeah, yeah, like yeah, you can see some of those, they have those little stickers, like the VHS movie stickers uh, that you get at the at the video store. I'm sorry, you're breaking up a little bit here. Yeah, can you can you hear me, Mitch? I think. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm trying to walk around the room a little bit here. Uh, okay. Can you hear me now? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay. Uh, yeah, Vidmark is. Uh, I found some really good stuff, like the old Chuck Chuck Vincent. Uh, uh, teenage sex comedies from the 80s are on there, and as well as like all the old artisan 90s action movies. Uh, they have a really good selection. Yeah, yeah, I've always found that to be a cool one. Yeah, uh, you know, one, one, you know, kind of talking about streaming. Um, one that I watched recently that I think everybody else has already seen was um, My Name Is Dolomite, the, the Netflix original, and. It's it's interesting because I'm going to be reviewing it for the site, but I kind of am starting to wonder with some of these Netflix originals if I should be considering them direct to video. I mean, I know it had a limited theatrical release, so it could win awards and, and whatnot, but it, it's kind of going to be it's going to be interesting going forward to see like direct to video connoisseur, like what that means. You know, like obviously I don't have I'm not like really strict to it completely, um, but you know generally the definition for direct to video for me is something that does all of its damage in the video realm, and so technically that's what netflix is so it's going to be interesting because it, it really you know to compare a movie like my name is dolomite to you know um something like we're going to be discussing here like altitude it is a little bit of you know my name is dolomite is something that probably would have been in the theaters 10 years ago i think um and would have probably made a lot of you know would have done well i think in the theaters maybe it wouldn't have been a huge billion dollar blockbuster but it's something that the the, the, the theaters would have made would have, would have wanted to make, which nowadays they don't necessarily, and Netflix jumps in to fill the void. So it's going to be interesting going forward to see how, how those kinds of movies are for me. Well, I, I think it's, you know, I think the cutoff is really where is the bulk of the home viewing? Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's if it is in theaters, it's probably a limited release, but the majority of the people are going to see it at home, so... I, I, I would keep it, I mean, which is interesting, because now, now you, you know, the Irishman will be uh, kind of in the same cahoots as, like, uh, you know, like, something like Altitude, so. Right, right. I know. If, 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 if the Irishman wasn't over three hours, I think I probably would have watched it and reviewed it by now, and and that is interesting to think about with, like, a Scorsese picture that, you know, that's what we're talking about now. Is that, you know, he's, he's technically direct-to-video. Um, he did another one that went straight to Netflix as well, the, um, Bob Dylan's Rolling Theater Review or something like that, Rolling Thunder Review, uh, which was, right. like, some kind of a mock documentary on, on Bob Dylan. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I think it's a whole new world now with uh, streaming and, you know, I, I was I was very skeptical at first, but I mean, 
even the free stuff i mean yeah yeah there's commercials and yeah they often uh break in in the middle of a guy's sentence or right right when they're about to introduce a crucial plot point you'll see like a uh ad for some miracle drug with 800 side effects but that's if that's the price i gotta pay for free then i think we're doing good yeah, compared to what free is when you're watching it on TV. I mean, you know, growing up, it was it seemed like movies would, you know, like every 15 minutes or so, they'd go in for commercials. And they would edit the movie, too, so that it could fit with um, commercials and all that. So then you never knew what kind of a version of the movie you were getting. You know, forget about editing it for violence or sex or, or, or language. But they would also edit the movie. I mean, that was kind of the big controversy with Home Alone 2 in Canada with uh, the Donald Trump scene being edited out was that – <laughs> uh, people were, you know, people thought it was for political reasons, but no, it was a, it was an old edit from like the 2013, I think, from well before Trump was was running, where the, you know, person editing the movie just said, well, this scene really doesn't do anything for the movie, so we're cutting it out. Um, which, I mean, it's like the director made a decision <laughs> to keep that scene in, but you're watching it on TV and that person makes an additional move. So, that, you know, with Tubi, it's like, yeah, it's, it, you know, you get the commercial in the middle of somebody saying something, but at least with Tubi, they're not saying like. Oh, we're going to cut this scene out because we want it to fit in the block of time here before the nightly news is on or whatever. Yeah, and I mean, and uh, uh, like I said, there are few, Netflix and I mean even Disney Plus. Um, I mean, and Prime, uh, which they're the only ones that I, I pay for right now. And I mean, even YouTube has. Uh, a wealth of stuff if it doesn't get taken down, you know, almost immediately. But, like, the old, like, erotic thrillers from the 90s are on there. Uh, I mean, and then that's where I get, like, a lot of my uh, El Santo movies. And, again, it's like, you know, somebody also watched this movie. I'm like, yeah, so, uh, I mean, I've been going through the El Santo filmography just on YouTube. Yeah, we just did a PM Entertainment um podcast and a lot of those are on on youtube as well uh, almost i think like 90 percent of that catalog is on youtube uh, which is you know i think it's yeah i think that's great i think you know i think the thing with youtube now is that youtube has gotten to this point where if you have copyrighted material you know where to find it and get it taken down so it's almost like if something's up there it's being left up there for i, I mean that's maybe i'm being naive about it but i feel like if something's up there it's being left up there for a reason that like some you know maybe like the pm entertainment people whoever's involved like they they want it up there they want us to be able to view it that way and and you know which i kind of think is an advantage i think if i'd made a movie i would want it on youtube and um yes i'd want people to be able to buy it too but maybe you see it on youtube and then you spend the money for the dvd or something like that well even i you know, there are cases where the, the movies themselves have commercials on there, even on YouTube. So they're getting some revenue from it. If, if you're seeing a commercial on it, you know, nine times out of ten, like you said, it's meant to be up there now. It's not like the Wild Wild West days of a few <laughs> years ago where something would be up one one day and then taken down immediately the next. Yeah, yeah. It, it seems like if, if it's up there, you know, you can feel a little bit better about it now than before where you, there was this idea that maybe you're taking money away from somebody. Now it's sort of like... Okay, people know how to get things taken down. They know how to, you know, to to, to search and, and look for titles, and they hire people that do it. Which, I mean, you know, granted, like if we're watching things for free that are copyrighted, it's it's kind of like we're feeding into possibly this need for nannies to go in there and and, and check everything. But the same is true. I mean, I think if when you see a movie that's been up there for five years or something like that, that's a, a good sign that that movie was it, it, it is is up there because it, it the person that made it is okay with it being up there. 
And you know, a lot a lot of those movies, especially like I was saying with the uh, like the erotic thrillers, those uh, the rights for a lot of those they were bought up, you know, independently made films that were bought up by Roger Corman or whoever was uh, needed the product at the time. And then when that company gets bought out, these you know small independent uh, producers they, they don't really have that outlet anymore that they had 20 years ago where they could distribute something. So that that's sadly why like a lot of that stuff is just never going to make it the Blu-ray or even DVD now. So, uh, and, you know, aside from finding it on eBay or looking, uh, looking on it on a, uh, at a thrift store, you know, that's going to be your only option. So that, yeah, like you said, like, I, I don't feel bad, like, like I'm pirating something cause I'm watching on, youtube because it's there yeah yeah exactly and you make a good point like you think of like pm entertainment for example was one who um you know they were they 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 sold their company in like 2000 2001 something like that so right like i don't think like you know um um you know pepin and 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 and, um mary or or, you know whoever is is making anything off of those movies any or the, the actors or anything like that i don't really know how it works anymore but uh yeah those you know, PM Entertainment, like, I don't know who would have the rights to be able to put those on DVD, uh, you know, and, and I don't know who's, who's, you know, yeah, I mean, I, I think there are people that would love to see, like, a, you know, um, a, the Sweeper or, or, you know, Zero Tolerance or something like that on Blu-ray, uh, but it's not really, there isn't a lot of clamoring for that, and, you know, a lot of those movies, even though they went direct to video, they also kind of went direct to HBO as well, and I think that's where a lot of, they, they almost had a television-type quality to them as well, or cable, you know, um, cable premium uh, TV quality that it almost like, you know, YouTube is kind of the best way. Like you don't necessarily need all the, the bells and whistles of a nice Blu-ray for something like that. And, you know, a lot of those, I mean, I, the actors probably barely got paid the first time I, around. I don't think there's anything in the way of residuals coming to them. Right, right. Those are, those are movies that they put on their bio and they were just happy to, yeah, exactly. They were, they, they were hope, happy the, the check cleared and they were good to go. And so, yeah, that's for sure. Well, kind of transitioning here into our, our movie this week. So we're kind of doing this sort of Dolph celebration. Um, we had a, a PM Entertainment, you know, podcast in between, but um, you know, uh, uh, two podcasts ago, Will from Exploding Helicopter and I looked at an older Dolph film, uh, Red Scorpion. Uh, but now this week, uh, Mitch and I, we're going to be looking at uh, Altitude, which is going to end up being the 50th movie we've reviewed for Dolph Lundgren on the uh, the, the direct-to-video connoisseur, which is. It could be a good or bad thing when we get into Altitude to see if it's worthy of that 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 distinction. But he's going to be the first actor um, on the direct-to-video connoisseur who's had 50 movies reviewed. I mean, that's huge. I mean, that. I mean, my website's uh, motto has always been quantity over quality, <laughs> and I don't think very few people like embody that the way that Dolph does because I mean he just grinds these things out at like a a surreal pace like I don't know if he even sleeps anymore yeah and you look at his bio now it seems like there's almost a pattern where it's like one theatrical film and and two DTV it's like you know Creed 2 and then you know an altitude in a dark water or something like that and then you know Aquaman and then I don't, something like I mean maybe I'm wrong because maybe maybe those are the only two theatrical ones he's done and he's still doing more of these DTV ones but it feels like he's he's sort of doing it that way where he's getting something big along with a couple others of, of these DTV flicks 
Yeah, and I mean, I you know, more power to him because I think he's only gotten better with time. And, I mean, I think in Creed 2, he's just phenomenal. And, I mean, he does very much with very little uh, screen time in the way of dialogue. But, I mean, I the, his final moments, you know, in that movie are just, like, heartbreaking. I never thought I would care about Ivan Drago, but he made me care about Ivan Drago. And, you know, and... Like I said, like, you know, he, I, I hit him and Stallone are buds and, you know, he calls them up, says, you want to do this thing? Yeah. And you want to do Expendables one through three? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I think they're at the, you know, they've made their money uh, probably. And I, I think guys that are still in it at this age uh, are doing it for the fun. Yeah, you know, I don't know. I mean, I think there is a the part of it, too. I think that they do have things that they have to pay off or things that they have to cover. Um, and so I think that's why they do some of these, like, you know, maybe one, you know, smaller things or they're in there for only a little bit of the movie. But I think you're right, too, that also it is about uh, I think they they're at a level where they can. You know, I don't know. When I saw that movie, um, I, I should say I was going to say that they um, they, they pick their projects and pick the best ones. But Dead Trigger, I don't know if you've seen that one um, that Dolph did. Uh, I, I reviewed it recently. I think he did it in actually the same year he did Aquaman. Um, so it it's a real low budget one. And it's one that kind of makes me wonder if maybe Dolph needed, you know, was, was looking for cash. But I, I wonder if now, you know, you get into these big budget ones where maybe there's ways that he gets money on the back end. I don't know if it works the same for him as it would for like a Stallone. But, um, you know, getting him into an Aquaman, things like that, where it's kind of like, OK, you know, yeah, you can you can put Dolph in a movie and, 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 and on the big screen. And, and, you know, Expendables as well. People I don't think people would have people would have been wondering where was Dolph if he wasn't in the Expendables. And and so I think he's at that level that, it, yeah, I'm hoping that he does kind of get to that point where he doesn't feel like he has to do a lot of these. But by the same token, you love that they grind them out like that. You love that they, there's sort of that Eric Roberts quality where they're just uh, kind of just, you know, getting in as much as they can. Yeah, I mean, and. You know, I, I don't think it's one of those uh, Nicolas Cage situations where he's still, you know, paying off a dinosaur skeleton that he bought in the 90s. But, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, when you see, when you look over the, the filmography and you see that he did, like, maybe one or two movies a year in the 90s, and in the 2000s he did maybe two or three or four movies, and now he's doing, like, you know, four or five movies a year plus television appearances he was just on like it's always sunny uh and it's it's you know i these movies probably aren't that demanding i mean in altitude he basically sits the whole movie um but i you know you're on the call sheet for probably half a day you're in the trailer probably you know the other half and it's 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 a gig you know, uh, there's a lot of bands out there that they're not playing stadiums anymore, but they, uh, they they'll play bars, they'll play clubs, and they they're they're in it, and you know they're they've been in it for decades, and they're gonna keep on keeping on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, speaking of that kind of that that you know, Dolph in this movie, um, I you know, kind of just thinking about this movie in general. I don't know about you, but there's a kind of a sense when you're watching this movie. I mean, I'm not saying that Denise Richards was horrible. Um, and then, you know, beyond Denise Richards, there isn't really there aren't really a lot of named people other than maybe like Chuck Liddell. But there's something about when Dolph walks onto that plane into first class with his suit on and everything. 
that it's just almost like a it's like an applause moment. It's like Norm coming into the bar in Cheers. You know, <laughs> it was just it just sort of changed the whole tenor of the movie for me. Um, and granted, we were watching this knowing we were going to be talking about Dolph, so that was part of it. But I don't know about you. Did you get a sense that like sort of the movie he he, he even though he's barely in the movie, his presence is so big in it. Yeah, very much so. I mean, it's um, you, it, I I kind of had a feeling when I saw he was second build, but you know, or has the end billing that you know, kind of to hedge my expectations of how much Dolph we were gonna get. But like he he never phones it in. I mean, mm-hmm. he was he was intense. He was. Uh, it, I mean, one of the things that that I liked about this movie was that it, it was very compact. It, it kept moving. Every scene kind of needed to be there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, once you get to his moments, uh, he, he delivers and he, he is intense. I mean, I mean, I, honestly, they could have probably had a, the automatic pilot from uh, airplane play his role. <laughs> But, but I mean, you know, when, you know, he, he's in the, the captain chair, you know, with, with, you know, everybody's, uh, fates in his hands. I mean, you know, it, there, there's a little bit of gravity there. I mean, he's, he, he sells the menace, uh, just right. And, uh, like I said, like the, this movie was where there, it was a no frills movie, but like you said, like his presence alone kind of just that that's shorthand for saying okay we're, we just kicked it up a notch right yeah, it, yeah exactly you know one thing i think too is um you know i always talk about the destro effect in movies because you know i grew up with gi joe and i always thought destro was cooler than, than the gi joe characters and so i always talk about that destro effect and i thought this movie was going to run into that and it seemed like they mitigated it by saying you know the help is going to blow up a plane with 200 people on it when they escape. And you realize like, okay, well, yeah, if 200 people are going to die, I want to see Dolph lose. I want to see Denise Richard prevail and, 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 and defeat him. So it was, that was like enough for me to say, okay. Cause I was wondering how they were going to do that. Cause I kept thinking like, I want Dolph to win. Like he's so fantastic here that uh, he's such a great baddie that um, I was rooting for him. Um, but that was one thing I did like, I, you know, one of the things for me, and I don't know how you feel about airplane movies in general, um, but I feel like, you know, the most exciting, of course, is when the hatches are blown and people are being, you know, um, you know, trying to hold on for dear life and not get thrown. And then they're fighting and not trying to get thrown from the plane. That's always the most exciting. But I always find sometimes it's hard to get good action scenes because it is a little bit of a claustrophobic environment. Um, what, what do you think about, about the airplane movies in general? Well, I mean, I this movie definitely fell into that trap. If you're looking for an action movie, I mean... There's only so many places you can put uh, a camera uh, when they're having a fight scene in in the already cramped uh, business class aisle of an airplane. Um, and I don't think they really could afford to have a one of those breakaway planes where they could take away sections to put the uh, camera in because everything was very, like you said, claustrophobic, uh, very, uh, you know, Seagal era elbows and knees are all, all you're seeing um but i i you know th- this movie kind of hooked me uh early on and i was at peace with that and i was at peace with the the video game uh cgi uh of the airplane you know plummeting and coming back down and uh 
but I, I, I think there was, a, you know, this scrappy element to it that I enjoyed. Um, that it, it, you know, you're gonna call me crazy, but it, it, in this uh, comparison is just kind of, you know, not tongue in cheek, but sort of. But it kind of reminded me of Showdown in Little Tokyo a little bit. Yeah. And I'll tell you why. It's because the way that uh, both films kind of turn cliches kind of on their ear. Uh, and it, you know, in uh, Showdown, you had Dolph being the the, the very uh, uh, the, the the one that was uh, in tune with Japanese culture, whereas Brandon Lee was, uh, uh, you know, not. You would think it would be the other way around. And this, it was the the women in the movie were uh, serious. They were uh, physically capable. They they were, uh, you know, very very proactive. Whereas the men, like every single male character except for Dolph, was a klutz or a moron and it, it, it did it, it, it did they say that there aren't enough good roles for women of a certain age uh in hollywood i think altitude kind of proved them wrong a little bit here yeah you know i was going to mention that because um i i thought denise richards was really serviceable and she was really good i thought this was a um this you know i, I think you, you see denise richards and you think like okay it, you, you get an idea of what you think she would be but she really was kind of a throwback to those no-nonsense FBI agents who, you know, get in trouble, right? Or they do, you know, they whatever. They do whatever they're not supposed to do and they're, you know, they're kind of, you know, getting reprimanded or whatever. She had that kind of no-nonsense quality for it. And even, like, when she's fighting Chuck Liddell, I think you're right. Like, by making Chuck Liddell's character into a good, you know, sort of, a, lack of a better term, a moron who didn't really know what he was doing – and then here she is trying to fight him. Obviously, he's a lot bigger than her. Um, you know, we, we have to sort of divorce the fact that we know he's a trained fighter in real life versus his character <laughs> in the movie. Um, so, you know, so that that part of it. But she does I mean, she does kind of defeat him by outsmarting him to some extent while also being, you know, no nonsense and, and willing to take a punch here or there and willing to kind of, you know, get physical and, 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 and not back down from him. But, you know, she kind of just gets to her gun in time and gets him. But I think, you know, I, I like I, I agree with you there that it was really great that, you know, and also the the, the baddie, um, she was kind of the, 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 you know, she was the muscle in that group. It wasn't Dolph who was the muscle. Um, he was supposed to be the guy who could handle all the technology. And there is even a point where he yells at her, the the, the, the woman, Sadie, who's the, um, the sort of the baddie who uh, is fighting against um, Denise Richards, he yells at her and she makes a comment like, what are you doing yelling at me? And he's like, you're right, I'm sorry. So we kind of know that she's, even even with Dolph being so awesome and, and how great he is, she was kind of in charge as well, which I thought was really cool. Yeah, she did great. That was uh, Greer Grammer, who's actually Kelsey Grammer's daughter. Oh, wow, I didn't and, know that. Yeah, um, and she, like... Right from the opening minute, because you, you know, you see her with the very bad wig, and you know, you kind of know she's like the Elizabeth Hurley, passenger fifty-seven kind of, you know, and uh, like so, it's it, it it was very refreshing to see her like, you know, barking orders at Chuck Liddell, and like him kind of like, you're, you're right, okay, um, and but it also made a very credible threat, you know, it at the end of the film where, you know, Denise Richards has to basically fight her uh, for control of the airplane. So that, uh, it, it was, like I said, it was, 
always a little bit better than I thought it was going to be. And then those those moments in the movie like this kind of add up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a DTV movie, I kind of grade on a curve anyway. So, I mean, this was actually one of my probably favorite, you know, DTV Dolph ones of the last few years. Yeah, and, you know, bringing up Showdown a Little Tokyo again and also kind of, you know, talking about, you know, sort of grading DTV movies on a curve – um, you know, one of, another thing that those two movies have in common for me is the no wasted space. Um, you know, Showdown is like a 75 minute film. Um, this one it comes in, I think, right, right around 90 or maybe like 88. But there are even points in the movie, like remember, there's this scene where um, that the woman who's the, um, the, the 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 flight attendant who uh, um, uh, gives um, Denise Richards the upgrade to first class, she ends up getting attacked in the bathroom by one of the the um one of the baddies. So of course the baddie's actually wearing a, the the woman's stewardess outfit or the woman's flight attendant outfit. Um, but she is I guess you know tied up in that bathroom for most of the movie, and we don't see her until the very end where we see like she I guess she had tape on her mouth or something that she'd had somehow extricated. So there were obviously scenes with her in that bathroom probably struggling to get out. That the director said we don't really need this. We don't need to to bother with this. We're just going to go right from her being attacked in the bathroom to Denise Richards finding her in there and rescuing her uh, which i thought was i think there were probably a lot of times like that when the movie that could, gave me a sense that maybe this was a bigger was going to be bigger and whoever was making it decided to make those cuts which i'm always in favor for with a directed video movie. that's sort of like my my number one thing is the runtime is the runtime good and then yeah how what did they do with that runtime yeah and you know like i said it seemed like every uh every scene needed to be there it, it served at least some purpose, either for to enhance uh, Denise Richards' character or to further the uh, the heist that was going on. Um, and I mean, even from the the opening scene, I mean, I was not expecting Denise Richards to get the uh, the opening unrelated badass scene where uh, she's having you know goes from having phone sex with the the uh, the guy who's holding people hostage. Uh, you know, to, to like saving the day, and you know when she, he's like, he's like, oh, what are you wearing? And she's like, Kevlar. I was like, I, I was like, I knew I was in for a good time with this movie. Yeah, and, and and like you said, you know, I think this is one of those ones that maybe I don't know if we want to call it a trailer bait and switch because bait and switch probably isn't the best term because it, it's it's because you know bait and switch we think of something showing us something is going to be really good and it's really bad. But I almost felt like the trailer didn't do this movie any any favors. It felt like the trailer was saying this is going to be pretty paint by numbers and it you're 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 not going to get what we got out of it. I don't know I don't know if you if you thought the same thing or even the way it was marketed. Well, I mean, uh, you know, I, I actually didn't even uh, watch the trailer. I, I, I'm at the point now. I just see, you know, Dolph's name in the, uh, the on the box. I'm like, all right, that's good enough for me. Uh, so I didn't even watch the trailer. But I, you know, I, I had a feeling it was going to be like some Passenger 57 uh, executive decision, Air Force One, you know, and you know it. it it, it delivered on that. I mean, we had, uh, you know, they, they were in the cargo hold, you know, which, you know, if you're in an airplane movie and you don't have a fight scene in the cargo hold, what are you doing? <laughs> so, you know, you had that, like you said, they had the scene where people were getting sucked out of the, the, uh, the, the door of the airplane. Uh, you know, you had the, the gratuitous over the top death of a, of a flight attendant. 
Right. Uh, yes. <laughs> Which you know, we wanted, it, right? That was an applied right, need it, for us. And, um, you know, I have the scene where the, the bad guy gets over the intercom. You know, I, I mean, it, it checked all the boxes. But like I said, it in between those moments, it had little moments of wit and character. And it was, for what it was, it was surprising. I was surprised I was as surprised as I was, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, no, I felt the same way. I kind of... I, I, I think I was waiting for the movie to turn I, – I, maybe I shouldn't say this. Maybe I shouldn't be this, this cynical, but I was kind of waiting for me to, to hit the lull. I was waiting for it to, 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 to not be that good. And, you know, I mean I think there were a lot of things that were happening in the movie that, that worked. It was it, – you know, one is it felt like everybody who got killed in the movie deserved – I don't know if I should say deserved to die because that's kind of a strong thing. I mean the flight attendant who was like dancing up and down the aisles to tell people how to, to do their, their, their seatbelts. Um, maybe he didn't deserve to die, but you know, you kind of felt like, you know, it, we, we were okay with it. It was an applause scene for us, you know, in, in that kind of a movie. Um, and you know, the, the, the pilots that were talking, you know, like they're these chauvinists who were talking about hooking up with women while they were flying the plane and stuff. And so you're just like when, when, um, when, when, um, you know, the, the, the Sabrina character comes into the, the cockpit and they're trying to hit on her, and she kills them. That's an you know like you you want to see her do that, and, and, and that's almost like one of those things too, where they have to really mitigate that concern and, and not have us rooting for the baddies. Which I think they did a good job of that with a lot of innocent people on the plane that were menaced, and you know the, again that idea that they were going to just blow up that whole plane, and the the idea was that they'd blow up the plane and that that you know the, our baddies would escape, but there'd be bodies there to replace them to make it seem like they were died. So. I think when you're going to kill 200 people, that's enough to make us not want to root for the baddies anymore. Um, so I thought they did a good job of mitigating a lot of those kinds of things that can turn a, a direct-to-video movie bad. And, and I especially love the way that they had uh, Dolph's ID badge on the dead body, and it was nothing more than his picture from the IMDb page. <laughs> yes, I was going to say <laughs> I, I mean, I laughed so hard at that. I, I was like, every, like I said, there's always this little moment that just made me chuckle to myself and i'm like i'm having a good time with this yes yeah there were a few things like that that happened i mean you know denise richards when she she tries to go get in her seat and it's like all of the bad things about coach that we think about which i've never flown first class so it's not like i know any better than coach but it's sort of like i mean i've never had anybody not give me their seat you know when, when it's my seat i've not had somebody who's sitting in my seat not get up and and take it because usually nowadays with the way planes work you get arrested for for trying to pull that um but it was kind of one of those things where it's like, you know, you know, she's we're getting the sense of what how she got demoted, you know, and all of that. And um, and, and yet it was still like with, you know, with some of these characters that were seem kind of annoying in the coach area of the plane. You also didn't want to see them die. Um, and so it, it kind of it, it, I don't know. Yeah, it, 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 it they did things with, with that, that you I, I think the last time I saw a really good. Uh, snake, or a really good airplane movie with snakes on a plane, um, which was a long time <laughs> ago. You know, like, like the last one to come out. You know, I shouldn't say it. You know, um, so it's been a while since I've I've really enjoyed an airplane movie. Yeah, and I mean, even with uh, the scene with the the air marshal, uh, you know, she goes to him and she quickly realizes it's his first flight. Yeah. He's nervous. He and it. I think in if this movie was made in the 90s, they would have had somebody like Patrick Muldoon to kind of shoulder the hero, uh, the, the heroic aspects, you know, and kind of divvy it up uh, between them. But now it was it, it was refreshing where 
but you know, even the guy that she thinks that you know could help her is is a doofus, and you know it put more of the uh, emphasis on her character and uh, forced her to be more resilient. And I mean, it, like I said, it was just refreshing where uh, you know, uh, you know the the lead, uh, you know, the female lead of of your DTV movie. It, it's not like oh, oh, we could have just had a a guy or we could have just put a woman in there, but surrounded her with all these strong male characters to kind of, you know, shoulder the, the, the action scene. So, I mean, it was, would I, you know, like to see maybe like Gina Carano or somebody that could have, you know, really kicked some butt maybe, but I, I was completely happy and tickled with the way that Denise Richards handled it. Yeah, they really did a good job, and I think she did a really great job of, of buying in with, with, with what they had for her. I think you're right about that, that it's too easy when you have a female lead to just make a, a strong guy to help back her up when she needs it. it, that, that's, it, it that's, a, that's an easy you know movie. I mean, you think of how many Cynthia Rothrock movies you saw where Richard Norton was there, and I think Richard Norton always did his best to make sure that Cynthia Rothrock was in the lead. When, when those movies happened, um, but it was still one of those things where the movie felt like they had to have a Richard Norton in there, and and this movie was like, yeah, here's our Richard Norton, and he's a doofus, just like all the other guys, <laughs> and, and really Denise Richards has got to do this on her own, and I mean, you know, there was the guy that was the, the, the thief that she was kind of working with and not working with, um, and I thought that was another uh, equally good um, decision there where it's like she can't exactly trust him she doesn't exactly like him but yet on the other hand she's a negotiator so she needs what he has that they want um, to be able to get off the you know to kind of solve this situation as well so yeah I think you're right about that they really mitigated a lot of those things that we see in those kinds of movies yeah I, I mean and there was even a little bit of uh, kind of like hinting at a uh, non-stop situation the, the movie with Liam Neeson where it was going to be, you know, I thought it was going to be like a little bit more, uh, you know, people on their cell phones and, you know, trying to wire money and all this stuff. And it, it they cut that right out. It was just like, look, I'll give you $50 million if you help me or whatever. <laughs> yeah. You know, there wasn't any, nobody tried to call the cops. It, it, they just handled the situation. Uh, like you said, there was no kind of lull in it, you know thing where she calls her boss and the boss can't be there because she's on you know yeah you, you know those stock characters it didn't have any of those uh kind of hiccups to uh slow the movie down yeah yeah i think overall i i was pleasantly surprised by this one i don't know about you i think you i think you're feeling the same way that this was a this was one that we didn't have a, I think we were trying to think of a good Dolph movie to discuss while we were doing this podcast and um and i know you you made this suggestion and uh i i think it it we, we weren't sure what we were going to get for, for, for a Dolph podcast, but I think this one definitely, it was, it was surprisingly good. And, you know, again, you know, I, we didn't really spend a lot of time talking about Dolph. I mean, he really didn't have a lot to do, but he, like you said, it, his presence alone kind of ups the ante. Like, uh, you know, you know, if Dolph's on the plane and he's, he's not playing the hero that uh, it's, it's going to be, you know, like a, a fight to the finish. So uh, he he did well with, with what uh, he was given. Like, as you said, like the scenes with him and uh, Sadie the henchman, there was like this tension, you know, genuine tension between them. And, uh, you know, and even with making her like a, a strong 
you know, powerful woman, you know, it was, it was, you know, I'm sure Dolph gets plenty of these things over his desk and he was, he, even he was probably like, Oh yeah. Let, yeah. Denise Richards wants to punch a lot of people. Let her do it. I'll just sit down for half the movie. Right. right. Which I think was a great idea. Uh, now, now, you know, thinking about Dolph overall, as we kind of hit this, like this 50, it, it, which is just kind of you know crazy. We we always consider him to be like the 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 Babe Ruth of direct-to-video movies. Um, cause I, that's how I've always kind of considered him, and he's I I feel like he's sort of a, a looming figure. I mean, it's interesting because you think of like a Seagal who had a, a a theatrical career and that was in DTV or Van Damme kind of the same way, um, or an Eric Roberts who just grinds out hundreds of movies. You know, I mean, he's got so much. Dolph is a unique figure because like you said i mean he the moment he steps into the movie you're feeling you know like this is this is the main character i mean you know, what, what are your thoughts on on his career kind of overall well i mean it's it's one of those things i mean not you know not not everybody's first movie well i know he was in a, you know even then you know being in a view to a kill uh mm-hmm. for his first movie i you know that that's there's no bigger stage than being in the james bond movie and then you're you go from that to being the villain in a Rocky movie. So right there, I mean, you're already kind of you know at the top of your game, you know, as far as I'm concerned. Um, and uh, you know, it was interesting in the, his early going career, like how he kind of capitalized on that. And I think he made a lot of missteps early. I think he regretted being in the Masters of the Universe. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, besides, you know, The Punisher, which, you know, both of us really enjoy, and, you know, something like Showdown in Little Tokyo, like, I know uh, a, a lot of people, like, I Come in Peace, which for me uh, almost feels like uh, somebody stapled two scripts uh, together, like a, you know, mismatched buddy movie with, like, a hidden kind of thing. And so I, th- there was a couple movies there where, you know, you see him even in the beginning of the nineties having to, to have somebody like a Van Damme and uh, universal soldier to kind of shoulder the billing because it kind of became apparent early on that, you know, he just couldn't do it alone, but that video market was there at just the right time where he could make that transition and then just start, you know, grinding these things out. And not having having to worry about what the opening weekend was going to be like. Yeah, yeah, because you know that Masters of the Universe one, I feel like you know everybody should have kind of known that was sautéed in wrong sauce from the beginning. That you're going to take this this cartoon character, which I, yeah, you had to make a movie of it, right? Because it was it was just generating those characters were generating so much heat that that I mean the the, the figures it was like they couldn't they, they they were printing money with those things. But this idea that you're going to do it on the cheap by having it set in, in, in you know, on Earth, um, you know, but I think from Dolph's standpoint, Dolph probably thought this was going to be a game changer the way that, you know, when, when you see that the, um, the, the doomed, um, you know, Roger Corman's Fantastic Four movie, where the people that were involved with that thought this was going to be their, you know, big break in the movies. I think Dolph felt like, yeah, this is going to be my big I'm the leading man thing and it didn't work out. And then Punisher just didn't work out. And yeah, I think you're right that he, you know, he kind of, he had those mistakes that those missteps that caused, or I don't even know how much their missteps or if they were, you know, on him or if they were on, uh, on, on the movies themselves. And he just kind of made some bad decisions. But then when we get into the nineties and then, you know, when we, we've kind of turned that corner into where the video market where like, you know, PM comes along, which Dolph didn't do any PM movies. He was a little bit 
beyond that. But I think you had a lot of people like, you know, you know, Sidney J. Fury, um, Russell Mulcahy, you know, Market Lester, uh, you know, Furstenberg, people like that who were who also were getting into DTV because I think the action movie market was starting to, you know, the kind of the big explosive kind of things that was starting to, to die down a bit too. So he he kind of got into that niche in the '90s right at the time that it was really booming for us. Yeah, and you make a, a good point with uh, you know, especially early on and you know throughout uh, his career. <clears throat> pardon me. Uh, he worked with, you know, like you said, top talent that were making theatrical movies, you know, just a few years before that. So it wasn't like a big sea change. It was just doing what he was doing before, just in a smaller pool. Yeah, yeah. And and it, it I think that's sort of where he builds this. You know, we, we, we start to see him now as people who watch directed video movies. It's like, yeah, of course Dolph can lead a film because we're seeing all of these. And I mean, yeah, there were definitely some hits and misses in there in the 90s when that comes. Um, and and I think what was great was when the Expendables came around and almost felt like for us and the, you know, who, who watched a lot of these DTV movies and lower budget movies, it was cool for us to see Dolph back there on, on the big screen doing a, a, a blockbuster like this that, that Stallone was making. And, I mean, it says a lot, you know, you know, all those kind of egos and, uh, you know, you know, all the testosterone on that set. I mean, you know, with maybe the exception of Mickey work, I mean, he he kind of steals the movie. Yeah. And I think I think originally they wanted him to die. But like, you know, he was so likable in that movie. They're like, ah, we'll just bring him back. And, you know, and I, I mean, it's like one of those things like you said like even with with all those big names when when he comes on it's like that fist pump moment and you're like okay you know you know you know you're gonna get something gold with him yeah and you know one thing i really liked about the expendables movie too is where he he has that fight scene with jet lee and you know we you know for a long time we were getting these movies and maybe stallone was was kind of didn't like this that trend where it went from the big guys to the smaller guys who could really do martial arts um but you know there was always that trend where like a jet lee would go in and just destroy a whole bunch of big guys in a movie and one thing i liked about that fight scene that he did with dolph was that you know dolph is a, 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 you know a supreme athlete but also much bigger than someone like a jet lee and it was like when they were fighting in an even playing field he couldn't you know Jet Li couldn't couldn't defeat Dolph because Dolph was bigger and stronger and 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 also well versed in martial arts and that Jet Li had to bring him into to locations where you know they, they, they you know they didn't have the height or, or anything like that and I thought that was really cool to kind of really showcase Dolph's talent and his his uh, you know I mean he was uh, you know a, a, a you know Olympic caliber uh, karate uh, you know, he in, in karate contests and also, um, you know, we, we know the, the pentathlon movie where he's in the modern pentathlon as well. But, you know, he was an <laughs> Olympic caliber athlete and was well versed in martial arts. And so to, to show him against someone like that and be able to for us to be able to see that, uh, I thought that was really cool. And, you know, the, the Expendables was kind of like, uh, you know, the culmination of like all those, you know, kids in the schoolyard saying, well, you know, who would win, you know, you know, Rocky versus the Terminator or whoever, you know, so, you know, you got to see guys like Dolph and, and Jet Li not only on screen together, but, you know, kind of antagonizing each other and getting into a fight and seeing guys like, you know, uh, when you get to the second one, Jason Statham and Scott Atkins. And I know there's a little bit of backlash with those movies because I don't know 
I, I think the, the, the criticisms of uh, those movies always seem to be like, well, no one died. You know, how can they be expendable if they don't die? I think they were really expecting it to be like this kind of wild bunch, dirty dozen thing. I'm like, no, I, I don't want to see any of those guys die. If anything, I want to see them, you know, standing elbow to elbow, you know, blowing up the scum of the earth. And that's what we got from those movies. And I'm always kind of perplexed at the the criticisms that are thrown at those movies. Yeah, because I think the idea, right, that Stallone's idea by calling them the Expendables was that it's just that, okay, you know, these are the people that the, the rich people don't care so much about, right, if they if they live or die, and that they're bucking the the, the trend, right, or that they're, they're, their revenge is that they survive, that they're, they're expected to die, and nobody cares if they live or die, and so they're only, you know, I guess like, you almost think of like the, the Mickey Rourke scene, right, where he has that scene where he's talking about, you know, well, you know, in the first movie about, um, I can't remember, it was like some kind of a, you know, a, a, a mission that he was on that, that, that went bad or all that, and kind of talking about the reasons why they do this, why they, they get in there, why they try to save the day and all of that. Um, so I always kind of felt like, yeah, that, 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 you know, Stallone was kind of using the term ironically, right, that they're expendables, but they're, 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 they're more than that, or they're going to make themselves more than that. Exactly, and I, and I think it was also kind of like a, you know, thumbing their nose at the establishment, saying, you know, that, you know, that Hollywood basically says we're expendable because, you know, we make these, you know, you know, B-grade uh, movies, and then, um, Nope, Mitch, can you, you hear know, me? I think you might... Separately, we're... Oh, can you hear me? I can hear you now, yeah. Okay. Yep. I, was, I was just saying that the... Uh, you know, it, it was kind of like thumbing their nose at the Hollywood system, too, because for a while, you know, they were, you know, either for politics or because their movies weren't performing as well as uh, their previous films. Uh, you know, they, they were kind of written off, and, you know, for them to kind of you know, bring everybody into the same room, I think really kind of resonated with like, you know, kids of the eighties like us that grew up watching those movies. And, uh, I, I think that's a bit of where the term comes from too. Yeah. And that's a good point. Cause I think, you know, Dolph might be the ultimate one, right. That's considered, you know, was, was expensive, you know, it's like, Oh, we've got this big blonde guy in a movie. Um, you, we can make him be a Russian. We can make him be whatever we want. And then, Oh, you know what? We don't need him anymore. So, you know, um, he's just going to do direct to video stuff. But, you know, there was something about Dolph that a lot of directors wanted to work with. I mean, I think the biggest thing is that, you know, when he did action scenes, when he did fight scenes and like that, that as a, as, as a top notch athlete like that, he had a lot of muscle memory. He could do the scenes really well. Um, but for, I think for us, it was that larger than life presence that was still there in a movie. You know, think of the direct to video ones like detention or some of those, like really the ones that were not that great, but or the minion or something like that, where you're, you know, it's just, you're really just watching it for Dolph and, and he's, he's bringing it home. I mean, it's fun to watch him in that movie, but you know, you'd think that larger-than-life presence would have translated more on the big screen. And for whatever reason, I think – I really think part of it, too, is I think Dolph, when he finally got things moving, that Hollywood really had moved in this direction of wanting to have smaller guys um, sort of against the odds, you know. And, and also trying to take regular actors that you wouldn't think to be action oriented and having them play the parts. And, and you know, I mean, we're seeing one right now. We're seeing Bad Boys with Will Smith and Martin Lawrence. I mean, those – 
neither of those guys came into the industry as action stars or being in action movies. But yet it's kind of, you know, the way movies are shot nowadays, you don't need to have big guys that can do stunts for those anymore. Yeah, I mean, that's a really good point, because, you know, the first one that comes to my mind that's like that is Bruce Willis. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Die Hard was 88. And that's about right around the time where uh, Dolph started going to direct to video. So, I mean, you, I, I think he got something there with that. Yeah, and you think about too. Then as the as the as the '90s go on, and you know, Stallone and Schwarzenegger also start to fall off a bit. Then you you, you go you know, forget about you know Bruce Willis. Now you're getting like Matt Damon in the Born Identity movies, and it's like they're just they're, they're determining like you know, it's not even just that we we don't you know. I mean you know, Bruce Willis's character didn't really do karate. He just kind of punched people and 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 you know through through cars at helicopters and things like that or you know made made helicopters shoot up ramps that you know or whatever um but now you've got matt damon who nobody thought of as an action star and it's like well if we can edit the frames and split second movements we can make him look like he knows karate and he's taking out people or he knows martial arts and he can take people out now it's like oh well who else can we do this with well maybe you know liam neeson we could try it with him you know we can do it and and i think that was also a thing where I think for us as action fans, we always love to see a larger-than-life character like a Dolph up there kind of just doing it. Michael Jai White talked about that, about the alpha male kind of thing, and maybe that's part of it. Maybe that's what it is. But I think for us more, it's, you know, we knew Dolph from, from you know, Rocky IV and, and, and that kind of that presence that he had, the I will break you kind of thing. And it's always been fun to see him, whatever he does in news things, kind of, you know, I don't know if, if, if you know, say like he's he's doing the same thing. He's not the same character as that, but it's that kind of that idea of this big, larger than life Swede who's just out there beating people up and whatnot, and kind of you know chewing up scenery in his scenes. Well, I'm in. You know that there are those template movies like the the Die Hard in a school like uh, <laughs> yes. detention or uh, like the uh, kind of like the, the the one last mission kind of movies like. Uh, you know, uh, can't think of the one right now, but the, the uh, but movies like Missionary Man, kind of like the guy that you know, the the lone wolf who's like drawn into. So all these movies, uh, like of his, kind of, you know, they're falling back on those old, you know, B movie tropes that we could kind of uh, just kind of pluck him into that situation. But uh, I think, you know, more often than not, it's you're watching you're the plot is secondary. You're watching uh, a Dolph movie for Dolph. He's one of those, you know, handful of guys like, you know, if his name, you know, I just see Dolph on there. I, I'll say, okay, I'll watch it. So, yeah. yeah it's, it, oh, go ahead. Oh, yeah. I, I was just, I was just going to say that it's just one of those, you know, he, he's in select company, uh, you know, basically anybody that's in a, an Expendables movie, you know, I, you and I, I know, will watch. Right. Uh, you know, even, you know, from Stallone and Schwarzenegger down to, like, uh, Gary Daniels and, you know, uh, you know, whoever else they can find to to be the, the third henchman on the left. Yeah, and, and it was funny, too, you mentioned about stealing the movie, because I feel like, you know, like Dolph, like you said, I think it, it feels like he stole the first one, and then the second one, it feels like 
Van Damme, who word on the street was that Van Damme, I think he even said it in JCVD that he was offered a part and he didn't like the part that Stallone gave him. So it was kind of like when he saw how big it was, he's like, well, okay, you know, people wanted me in this movie. I probably should have done it. And so Stallone's like, well, you can be the baddie in the next one. And he steals that one. He's like, you know, him and Scott Atkins, it felt like that, you know, because felt like Dolph's character in the second one was more just like running around with a big gun, shooting things and yelling. Um, and they didn't quite give him the, the parts that they gave him in the first one. Um, so it's interesting. And I almost feel like Stallone felt like when he made the third one that he was just like, you guys just keep stealing the movie from me. So when I make the third one, you guys are done. And I'm going to bring in these kids that there's no way, you know, <laughs> Kellen Lutz and Ronda Rousey is going to steal the movie from me. So you guys can hang out and wait for the, the end of the movie. And which I, I felt like the third one was the worst of them because of that. Yeah, uh, I, I, I certainly agree with that. But I, I think three, you know, uh, I think Wesley just, you know, Wesley Snipes steals the movie right from the beginning. You know, as soon as they bust them out, you're like applauding. And, you know, is he well utilized after that? Maybe not. But then along comes Mel Gibson and he just chews the scenery like only Mel Gibson can. And, uh, you, you know, again, it goes back to the, the old uh, schoolyard discussions like who would win Rambo or Martin Riggs? And you, know, you get to see that that fight. So, I mean, uh, yeah, I, I, I do think it is a bit of a come down from the other two, but I, I, I still thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, well, you make a good point that, like, even though he was trying to avoid somebody stealing the movie from him, Mel Gibson still did it anyway. So it's kind of like he, he, he may have organized it to try to get all the, the big names out of there and, you know, ended up being that the baddie took it again. So, yeah, he kinda, it didn't matter either way. Um, yeah, so, you know, as we're wrapping up here, any, any final thoughts or, or ideas on, on Dolph and his career? Well, I mean, you know, it, it, it's I, – I, I would – like to think of it as a dolphinescence, uh, a renaissance dolph, uh, you know, that we're experiencing now. Because, like you said, you know, we could, you know, watch a movie like Altitude in the comfort of our own home uh, via streaming, or you know, we could go to the theater and see Dolph on a seahorse underwater, <laughs> being the underwater king, or being Ivan Drago once again. Uh, you know, he and like I said, he's been on like uh, it's always sunny in Philadelphia. He's even been, you know, kind of doing, you know, episodic television here and there. I think him and Stallone have a TV show that they're working on. Uh, so I think, you know, as we progress through the 21st century, you know, where, wherever we go, Dolph's going to be there. And I don't think he's going away anytime soon. Yeah, I think that's a great way to describe it, Adolphus thoughts that were, you know, it, it feels like all those years where it was just us liking Dolph, and now everybody gets to enjoy or gets to see what we found as so good before. But yet at the same time, we're still getting those DTV ones that we like, like Altitude, which I think was just a, like you said, I think it was kind of a throwback to some of those older, I mean, generally Dolph in, the, in his older ones, he didn't have small parts like he did in, in, in this one, but it still was kind of a throwback to some of those. Oh, I mean, I think, yeah, in, in the nineties, Dolph would have been Denise Richards, his character. So um, I think maybe you're right that he saw the script and he was like, I'm happy to let Denise Richards, I'm in my sixties now, let Denise Richards do, do that part. And I can be the guy sitting on the plane, uh, you know, just making, cracks at the at the, the the baddie or whatever yeah and i mean uh you know hopefully there's more expendables in the pipe and hopefully you know whatever he makes like i said i'll watch so i i think 
the sky's the limit. I mean, he was even in, you know, albeit briefly, he was in the Coen Brothers movie, Hail mm-hmm. Caesar. Uh, even though he was largely cut out, he, he's still in it if you look hard enough for it. So he's definitely on Hollywood's radar. And, uh, you know, I I, I welcome uh, anytime Dolph uh, cares to be on my TV screen, I'll watch it. Yes, I think well, I think that's a good way to, a good a good note to leave it on. And I I agree with you there. I think that term I, I like that term Dolphasans. I think that's really what we're seeing now. And I think it's kind of exciting to to kind of see what happens as we go through this decade here. I mean, he's he's in his 60s now, so you know we're probably going to see more like a, a, um, altitude than you know we see him in in, in you know doing you know, really, really heavy duty things, but I don't think he's slowing down at any point. And I think that's really good for us to kind of see him in as much stuff as possible. Exactly. My sentiments is exactly. And again, if he can find a, a scripts that have just a little bit more uh, wit or just kind of like, uh, you know, a fun way around uh, some old tired cliches uh, like altitude does, you know, the, the more the merrier. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Well, yeah. Well, now before we wrap up here, uh, Mitch, uh, let me know where, where can they find you on on social media and the blog and all of that. Uh, yeah, my uh, Twitter handle is the Video Vacuum, um, or you can just look for Mitch Lovell. Uh, I do uh, links to my reviews there uh, almost daily, depending on what my schedule is like. And then um, my blog itself is the video vacuum at uh, Blogspot. And uh, if you're interested in any, uh, you know, further reading, I have uh, my new, my latest book is uh, the Bloody Book of Horror, which I uh, review a bunch of uh, horror movies uh, that can be found on Amazon. And also, if if you like my thoughts on Dolph movies, I also wrote a book called. Uh, the Unexpendable Guide to Action Movie Heroes, and that's where I take a every chapter is devoted to somebody that's been in an Expendables movie, and of course, uh, plenty of reviews for Dolph uh, can be found there. Perfect. Now, 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 with with your books, um, it, do you have a um uh, an author page on Amazon, or could, are are there links on the website or the the uh, the blog? Uh, yeah, there are links on the blog, and uh, if you just uh, go to Amazon and just search my name, Mitch Lovell, uh, all the books will be there. Okay, perfect. Yeah, I I need to check out, especially that Expendables one. I've I've been meaning to check that one out, so I should probably get on that and see because I think that's really cool. And definitely for 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 further reading for everyone. Uh, so for sure. Um, now just for me, you know, same same as always. Um, Twitter at DTV Connoisseur, uh, Instagram at DTV Connoisseur, uh, the the blog is uh, DTVConnoisseur.blogspot.com, and then uh, Facebook would be um, Direct to Video Connoisseur. It's the only one that's not DTV Connoisseur. That one's actually Direct to Video Connoisseur, and then um, Letterboxd. I'm on there now as well. I think as well as DTV Connoisseur. Um, yeah. So just wrapping up, Mitch. Thank you again for coming on. This was another great conversation. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Awesome, man. Thank you for having me. Hopefully we can do it again soon. Oh, for sure. Yeah, there's plenty of there's so many topics out there that we'll definitely we could definitely connect again for sure. All right. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for listening.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.